Good morning, Arbor. Thank you for being here today. It's been a while since I've had the privilege and opportunity to stand up here and share a message with you. My name is Scott Hetherington. Um, I'm one of the elders here at Arbor. And uh, in the past, I spoke more often, and then they wised up, and I speak every now and then. <clears throat> no, it's just been a busy season of life for all of us. And uh, I'm thrilled to be up here to let us get back into the book of Mark. We were going through the book of Mark. We've paused. We've done a great series on renewal, which I know I needed to hear. And now we're going to jump back into Mark and continue the life and way of Jesus defying expectations. And I'm really excited to do this with you today because I love the, the counterculture idea of Jesus that I think we've lost sight of in some of our theological routines and knowledges and the way we go about living our lives for God and the way we go about doing church. So, you know, this defying expectations, I want, let me start by asking this. Have you ever felt like you were in the know, but then it turns out you really weren't in the know at all? Have you ever been in those uncomfortable situations like you knew the punchline of the joke you thought you did, but then you didn't because you were the punchline of the joke? And you found out later, oh, they weren't laughing with me, they were laughing at me, all right? Um, did you know what the plans were ahead of time and then you get there and the plans weren't what you thought they were? Have you walked into a dinner party with a rack of ribs and realized it was a vegan dinner party? Have you walked up and asked a woman, oh, when's the baby due, and found out they're not pregnant? What baby, Scott? The baby panda at the zoo, that one. No, not me. I stole that from a comedian, one of my favorite ones. But even more so, have you heard someone tell you something, and you, 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 know, you thought you knew what they said, and then you find out later that's not what they said? Or did you ever think you knew the lyrics to a song? And you get up to sing the song, and people are like, what are you singing? You know, like Gina, I thought in Living on a Prayer, Gina was home making dinner all day. You know, that white, and no, she's at a diner making a living all day. So those words that get mixed up are here, but you think you know something, but you don't. And you only discover that you don't really have everything figured out that you thought you had figured out. Maybe you thought you knew somebody really well. And then you're shocked to find out that, you know, all along they've been a 49ers fan. That's, you know, that, that's just, that, that might be a deal breaker. Or you thought you knew somebody really well, and then you found out they eat their peas with a fork. All these things that surprise you that are humorous right now, but sometimes in our life we encounter these expectations that get flipped on us. And we're left with a moment of going, Wow. This is not what I expected at all. What do I do now with who I am, the knowledge that I have, and moving forward? And that's what we're going to encounter starting in chapter four today. We're going to go into the passage of the sower. And there have been many messages out there on the sower. You can find them, <clears throat> you can watch them, you can read them. Much better expositors of the word than I am, much better orators than I would be. And most of them, though, come out of several buckets about the parable of the sower. The types of soil and which type are you, how to be good soil and not the other soils, how ways to help other people become good soil, how we're called to sow the seed, God is in charge of germinating the seed and making it grow, it's nothing we do. But I don't want to look at it through any of those buckets today. Today, I want to try to look at the parable of the sower through the lens of the book of Mark and the theme we've been doing the life and way of Jesus, 
defying expectations. What is this parable telling me about life? What is it telling me about the way to live for Jesus? And how does this perspective inform our lives as believers? Mark 4, 1 through 20 contains this long portion that's broken up into segments of an introduction, a parable, an interlude in which Jesus speaks only to his disciples and those closest to him, and then the explanation of the parable. Mark's been a rapid pace so far. His book is like in a rapid pace of like staccato, you know, quick story glimpses, but we enter a slower phase right here in Mark chapter four, and he sets a little bit of a setting. And we're gonna find Jesus seated in a boat on the lake to find space for the crowds to still come and hear him, and it seems like Mark eases up on the pace of his storytelling for this key passage and message that he wants us to hear. The crowd is so large that Jesus is in this boat and he starts to tell what is a parable. And I love the biblical scholar, um, C.H. Dodd, how he describes a parable. And I wanna share this with you because <clears throat> as we go through today, I want you to understand this idea of a parable. He says a parable at its simplest is a metaphor or simile drawn from nature or common life, arresting the hearer by its vividness or strangeness, and leaving the mind in sufficient doubt about its precise application to tease it into active thought. There's a lot there. But here's the main things I want you to remember today. Parables leave the mind in sufficient doubt and confusion. It doesn't tell you the full story. Because it wants you, as the hearer, as the listener, to leave and be an active thought about it. Like Jesus says, meditate on my word day and night. Because no matter how much you read it, there's more there to learn. And this is, I think that this was pretty profound of him to say it this way, because it ties into what we're going to learn today, that Jesus is trying to say through the parable of the sower. God, I pray that you would move me out of the way. I pray that today of all days you would give us ears that want to hear, hearts that want to listen, and feet that want to go put into action what we learned today, God. Move me out of the way. May your words trump any words I have, God. And may you speak to us through your truth. In Jesus' name, amen. So we pick it up in Mark chapter 4, verses 1 through 9. Jesus is seated in a boat at the lake. Again, he began to preach by the lake. Such a large crowd gathered around him that he got into a boat on the lake and sat there while the whole crowd was on the shore by the lake. He taught them many things in parables and in his teaching said to them, listen. Let's pause for a second. He starts off with a key phrase that I want you to understand. Listen. He's basically saying, give me your eyes, give me your ears, pay attention to what I'm going to say. And this is going to echo throughout what we're learning today. Listen, a sower went on to sow, out to sow, and he sowed some seeds fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured it. Other seeds fell on rocky grounds where it did not have much soil. It sprang up at once because the soil was not deep. When the sun came up, it was scorched, and because it did not have sufficient root, it withered. Other seed fell among the thorns, and they grew up and choked it, and it did not produce grain. But other seed fell on good soil and produced grain, sprouting and growing, some yielded 30 times as much, some 60, and some 100 times. And he said to them, whoever has ears to hear, better listen. Whoever has ears to hear, better listen. He concludes the parable with a strong exhortation that it's crucial that you get this, to, give, to listen carefully and give close attention to what he's trying to say. 
These talented people, the grasp of my ministry and the character of the kingdom rides on your understanding. He needs us to listen and not just hear. The saying, in one ear and out the other ear, have you ever heard that? The idea of this hearing, hearing is like a, it's, a, it's an involuntary physical sensory process that we all have. We can be in a room and hear lots of different things going on. It involves our perception of sound, but it does not really require any attention to what is actually being said or the sounds are coming from, but we can hear them. Many of us experience this. You try to talk to, oh, let's just say somebody watching a show on TV, a sporting event, they're watching something, you're talking to them, and then you ask them a question and they're like, huh? <laughs> Maybe you're talking to your children, all right, and you're talking to them, you're telling them, and they're hearing you, and they're not doing anything. You're like, do you hear the words coming out of my mouth? And they're like, yeah, I hear you. Yeah, but you don't, you're not comprehending. There's no follow-through. You're not doing anything. I said, get up, pack up. We got to get in the car and leave, which means, well, give me 10 more minutes. We're already 10 minutes late. Or maybe you and your partner, your spouse, your friend, you're having a conversation and they're saying one thing and you think you're hearing it, but what you're really doing is waiting to get your word in next. So you're not really listening. You're just hearing. There's no seeking to understand and really solve because you're hearing the words, but you're not listening to the words. Because see, the difference is listening is an active, voluntary, intentional process that involves making sense of the words and the sounds you hear, and it requires full attention and a willingness to learn and act and absorb and respond appropriately. There's a big difference we are social beings and having a universal need for connection and belonging. Research has shown the better listeners we become, the better relationships we have. Not just hearing what people say, but understand their perspective. Seek for understanding. Get curious. Ask questions. Restate what you think they heard and let them restate, no, that's not what you heard. I'm trying to say this. Listening well produces more profound connection with the people you love in your life. And this is what Jesus is trying to say, that the implication of hearing rather than listening is that it might be hard for us to feel connected, not just to others, but to Jesus and his ministry. Because what he says is this, hearing what I, Jesus, am saying does not mean you are listening to what I, Jesus, am saying. Hearing what Jesus is saying does not mean I'm listening to what Jesus is saying. This is going to play throughout everything he says through the parables and later to the disciples. Because hearing instead of listening is the key at hand here. In other words, when Jesus says, whoever has ears to hear, let them listen, he's basically saying, do you understand the words coming out of my mouth? That's the New Hetherington translation. You can look that up later. So here's what's interesting. Jesus tells this parable, and then Mark pops over to this point in time where he's talking to the disciples. And it doesn't really align maybe with the story, or maybe it, Jesus took a break, but it could have happened after all the other parables or before them. But anyway, we find Jesus away, and he talks to the disciples about why he speaks in parables, what the parable means, and how this impacts their lives. So let's look at what Jesus tells the disciples and this is where we're going to camp out. I'm telling you right now, we're not going to spend a lot of time interpreting the parable. We're going to camp out in these three verses. So let's look at this. Because this is where we find Jesus defying expectations. Mark 4, 10 through 12. When he was alone, the 12 and the others around him asked about the parables. 
He told them, the secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you. But to those on the outside, everything is said in parables so that they may be ever seen but never perceiving, ever hearing but never understanding. Otherwise, they might turn and be forgiven. Jesus tells his disciples that the secret of the kingdom has been given to you, to them, to those on the inside, meaning those proximity to Jesus, closest to Jesus. But those who are on the outside, everything is in parables. And otherwise, the secret is mystifying to many. They hear, but they don't perceive or fully understand. They keep it from their true relationships of God, while those who belong to the kingdom of God should increasingly understand what Jesus is trying to tell them, but get more confused. And shockingly, those outside seem to grasp it quicker and put their faith in Jesus. Others continue to be baffled by this, and Jesus is saying, I don't want you, who are closest to me, to be baffled. So think about what Jesus is saying. This is shockingly counterintuitive to what the disciples thought. They're hearing this, all right? Does Jesus not want people to repent and believe in the gospel? Why would Jesus teach in a manner that is confusing to so many? How can we deal with this difficult theological problem of seemingly Jesus intentionally confusing his hearers so that they do not have the opportunity to repent? It can cause some confusion and angst. It appears that the choice to repent is not truly ours but rest in the hands of Jesus. Yet, within the larger context of Mark's gospel, we're going to find out that Jesus, his words make perfect sense because you're thinking he's saying them to one audience when he's saying them to another audience. And that's the expectation that Jesus keeps shifting on people. As the narrative unfolds, it turns out that Jesus' words are a warning directed to insiders. It is meant for those closest to Jesus, those who may be complacent about being on the in, in the know of Jesus. His real target is disciples, his real message to disciples is this. Proximity to Jesus does not mean personal relationship with Jesus. Listen to me. Proximity to Jesus, I'm in the boat, does not mean personal relationship to Jesus, I'm still afraid. Proximity does not mean connection and relationship. Notice that Jesus quotes Isaiah 6, 9 through 10 in verse 20. This was originally written to the Jewish people. The Jewish people that he freed from Egypt, parted the Red Sea, fed in the wilderness, led to the promised land, built them a kingdom. He was in their presence for 40 years as a, as a cloud and a pillar of fire. They were the chosen ones, and yet he says about them they could not even see, they could not even understand, and it caused them to stumble and not repent and seek forgiveness. And he's taking that verse that maybe the disciples had judgment on some of their ancestors about that and laying it right on the disciples' lap, and he's saying to the disciples this, although you disciples, although you look, you too look but don't see. Although you disciples hear, you too hear, but you're not understanding. So you too, you too disciples may not repent and seek forgiveness. Now keep that in your mind. Because we're going to look at a couple of the disciples and how this plays out in their own personal lives. And how these words echo in their minds as Jesus' ministry unfolds and eventually he dies on the cross. 
He's given a warning for those closest to him that again, proximity to me doesn't mean you really know me. The disciples were still confused by the parables and trying to seek understanding. And Jesus' word in 11 through 13 are meant as a warning to disciples and followers to not become complacent because I'm not here to meet your expectations. I'm here to meet my father's expectations. And I will defy whoever stands between me and my father and the reason that I'm here. See, the secret of the kingdom is not merely awareness of who Jesus is. It's not merely understanding who he is. The secret of the kingdom is its counter-cultural purpose. Listen to me. God's kingdom did not work in the way the world wanted it to work. It still does not work the way the world wants it to work. It does not come by human power, military might, or triumphant display. Jesus did not come as some Maccabean rebel to overthrow the Roman government and set the Jews free. That's what they thought. That's what they expected. He said, no, I'm not. I'm here to overthrow a different empire. And I'm here to usher in a new kingdom for all people, especially all those people we've pushed to the margins. Jesus headed to the cross. His life is marked by the cross. His kingdom goes through the cross. He calls others to take up their cross because the secret is the kingdom starts in smallness and weakness and will grow in power later. It's about humility and servanthood and loving others. The secret is that the kingdom includes many more people than anyone ever expected and may exclude many more than anyone ever expected. It's about sinners, it's about outsiders, it's about Gentiles, it's about you and I, it's about me. And how we're all outside until we truly listen and understand that proximity to Jesus does not mean personal relationship with Jesus. What means is understanding what he's saying and we obey and we follow in faith. I want you to hold on to that. And we're going to look at Peter a few times as an example. We're going to look at James and John as an example as how this pops up in their story with Jesus. So now let's jump into the meaning of the parable. We're going to go through this pretty quickly. Let's jump to verses 14 through 15. The sower says the word. The sower sows the word. These are the ones in the path where the word is sown. Whenever they hear, immediately Satan comes and snatches the word that was sown to them. It falls on the path, birds come down and eat it up, representing Satan snatching it. I love this word snatches. It's like the idea of something being poached or somebody seizing something illegally. Satan's opposition to Jesus is very specific, all right? It's focused on preventing Jesus from being, <clears throat> from being the cross, the director, the, 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 uh, sorry, the, becoming the cross that his father directed him to be. See, Satan doesn't mind that Jesus is the Messiah. He just doesn't want Jesus to be the Messiah the way Jesus is being it. He snatches away the true meaning of Jesus and saying he will not be a sacrificial savior. See, Satan, you see Satan, here, let me give you an example. In one of Peter's interactions with um, Jesus, this comes up, in trying to snatch away something. Um, this is a spoiler alert. This happens in chapter 8. Who's ever preaching that message? I'm really sorry about it. But Jesus is talking to his disciples and he's telling them how he's going to be rejected. He's going to be killed. He'll be in Jerusalem. He's going to die. And Peter's like, bump that. I got nothing to do with that. That's not in my plans. I don't know what you're thinking, Jesus, but we can't do that. 
that's not going to happen. And so we read in Mark 8, as Jesus talked about these things opening with the disciples, Peter took him aside. Now, I just want you to think about that. Jesus, come here, Jesus, come here a second. Get over here. I got to set you straight on some things. He took, that's why I love Peter, man. He thinks he's in the know. He thinks he's got it all figured out. I'm the man. I'm with Jesus every day. I left my job. I'm right here. I got this. And began, this is just cracks me up. This is so human of us. Because we put the disciples in like this bad light with us at times. We're no different. So he took him aside and began to reprimand Jesus for saying such things. The unknown pride and arrogance of that in in Peter, I love the guy. You're going to reprimand the Messiah. (laughs) He does this, but here's what's important. Jesus turned around and looked at his disciples. You ever had one of those moments as a a person? Someone comes up and tells you something, you just kind of look at people and you're like, all right, here we go. I'm going to set them straight. Have you ever had one of those moments? Someone challenges you, they tell you something, you did this, and everybody around you is kind of like, oh boy, this is going to, the other disciples kind of backed up. Jesus looks at him, he goes, I'll come, I'll talk to you guys in just a moment, give me a second here. And then he says this, this is strong, and we're laughing, but listen to this. Get away from me, Satan. You are seeing things merely from a human point of view, not God's. They will ever be hearing, but not understanding. They will ever be seeing, but not understanding. Your proximity, Peter, has made you blind to who I really am. So here's the point. Peter is enthusiastic about Jesus as the Messiah, but refuses to hear any talk about the path the Messiah needs to take. Satan does not mind if Jesus is the Messiah. He just does not want him going to the cross. Satan knew the path. Satan wants Jesus the Messiah shaped by corruption of this world. Self-assertion, self-promotion, grasping of power, which is how Satan tempted Jesus in the wilderness. Because if Jesus had done any of those things, he would have missed the cross and we would have missed salvation and Satan had victory. That's the way Satan snatches away the word. Not by removing the gospel message by somebody's mind, Rather, Satan obscures its orientation to the cross, to the expectations of what we wanted to say rather than the truth of Jesus' expectation is, I'm here to die. I'm here to sacrifice myself. I'm here for you to live. It's not about me right now. It's about the mission. That's what Satan obscures. That's what he snatches away from people. And the question I leave asking myself is this. Am I listening to who Jesus says he is? Or am I hearing who I want Jesus to be? Am I listening to who Jesus is, who he says he is? Or am I hearing who I want him to be? That's the snatching away of the gospel. Next we come to the rocky ground. Verses 16 and 17. These are the ones sown on the rocky ground. As soon as they hear the word, they receive it with joy. But they have no root in themselves, and they do not endure. Then when trouble or persecution comes because of the word, immediately they fall away. You know, perhaps Jesus is referring to the many who receive healing throughout the book of Mark, and others who are caught up in the hope and promise attached by the arrival of God's Messiah. I mean, he's doing amazing things. They're all excited. They go away. Then life happens. And they quickly fall away because of troubles, persecutions, and just life. 
Come on, let's be honest. We all get fatigued, tired, life is overwhelming, and we get distant, and things grow up in our life. Because of the troubles and persecutions, many of us fall away. His call is to the hard, is to the hard road, to faithfulness to the point of the cross. See, trouble and persecution alienate people because we don't want to walk the road of the cross. We want to walk the road of the resurrection and glory that comes later. But you can't get to resurrection and glory without persecution, hardship, trials, and the cross. That's the way of Jesus. That's, that's the defying the expectation. The Messiah was not here to make everything better. He was here to give you something better. Not the old law, the new law. Not the old covenant, the new covenant. That's centered around the same, the same God that's been here forever. He just gave you an earthly representation of his son. Peter's denial of Jesus three times in the courtyard fell away in the midst of all this persecution. Another example of poor Peter. I don't pick on Peter because I, I align with the guy. But listen, remember when he was in the courtyard? Let's read it. He had denied Jesus three times. Immediately the rooster crowed the second time. Then Peter remembered the word Jesus had spoken to him. Before the rooster crows twice, you will disown me three times. And he broke down and wept. I think Peter remembers, get away from me, Satan. You think you know me, Peter, but you don't. Yes, I do. Peter just drawn a sword a few hours earlier doing the same rash thing. I'll protect you, Jesus. You're not going to the cross. And now here he is. In Luke, it says Jesus looked from the balcony and saw Peter. Imagine Peter's heart in that moment. When trouble and persecution came because of the words or the accusations that he was related to Jesus, he immediately fell away. Peter's heart finally had a reckoning with his head. His perceptions collided with his intentions. Peter had placed roots in who he wanted Jesus to be instead of letting Jesus put roots in who he wanted Peter to be. He had rooted himself in a belief that led to his behaviors and created this result. Because his beliefs were shaped by what he wanted Jesus to be. So his behaviors were all around defending what he wanted Jesus to be. And the result was disappointment, betrayal, heartache, feeling loss. And what Jesus says is if you put your beliefs in who I'm saying I am, and then you, be you behave in the way that I behaved, the results are contentment, peace, and joy despite all the chaos of this earth. Am I rooted in who Jesus says he is? Or am I rooted in who I think Jesus is? Look back up and it says in here, but they have no root in themselves. The root remain, abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you don't stay connected to the vine, what happens? You die. Peter died. Peter died for a moment here. His heart died. His expectations died. He's like, what have I been telling myself? What have I been doing? I was right here next to Jesus. And I've ended up way over there. I am on the outside when I thought I was on the inside. Here's a secret. We're all on the outside until Jesus brings us to the inside. We don't earn our way inside. It's through the door. Those who knock, I will answer. I will let you in. The thorns. Verse 18, others are the thorns sown among, th other are the ones sown among thorns. 
they that hear the word, <clears throat> but the worldly cares, the, seduct the seductiveness of wealth, and the desire for other things come up and choke the word, and it produces nothing. Man, can I relate. Bills, busyness, job, promotion, doing this, doing that, gaining this, getting that. The world tells us, here's the roadmap of how you build your life to be happy and successful. I've bought into it. I live it at times. I do it at times. We're all guilty of it. It's not that it's bad, but is it choking out the word of God in your life? Because in the midst of all that, I'll say it this way, stuff happens. Stuff happens. Sometimes as a result of us, sometimes not as a result of us. And if we have too many thorns in our life, and the word's not speaking what it should, we're going to be choked out on the inside. People initially respond to the word, but then attach kingdom agenda to some other earthly movement, such as loyalty. Get ready. I'm going to step on some toes here. We attach our loyalty to God to a loyalty to a political cause or some religion or some leader. Perhaps some people imagine that participation in the kingdom is a way to get rich or have a blessed life or an easy life, or the kingdom can be advanced through financial resources. Both of these involve thorns. The way humans imagine advancing a cause usually involves one, one, or, one or another of these causes. Money, power, prestige. Jesus had none of them. The consumerism of Christ is killing the Christian church. It'll always be the human temptation to shape the gospel in their own image, making Jesus the kind of Messiah we want him to be to transform the kingdom the way we want it to look. We see this in the disciples later. You don't believe me? Watch how quickly it took after this explanation in Mark chapter 10, another spoiler alert. James and John, the sons of Zebedee, fiery individuals, asked Jesus this question, all right, about heaven, all right? They said, can you have me on your right hand and James on your left hand as we sit down in heaven next to you? <laughs> First Peter's reprimanding Jesus. Now James and John are going, we know you're a favorite, so when you get to heaven, you sit on your throne, put James on the left and me on the right, or vice versa, or whatever you want, God, but we're your two favorites, so have us right up there with you so everybody can look at us and see us and that we're your favorites. And Jesus just looks at him and says, can you drink the cup I drink? or be baptized with the baptism I need to have? And immediately they go, oh yeah, we're in, we can do that. Because they're hearing. They're hearing what they want to hear. But they're not listening to what Jesus is saying. Their intent and purpose were self-centered and centered on something they wanted Christ to be and do for them. When the other disciples heard this, this is great. They were indignant and chaos breaks out and they all start fighting like a bunch of little children in the back of a station wagon. And your dad goes, stop it or I'm turning this car around right now. My dad never once canceled a vacation. Scared us once, flipped the car around on the interstate. My mom, what are you doing? Flipped it around, started going back down the interstate the other way. We're all crying, we're, done. we're sorry, I'll stay on my side of the car. I'll stay on my line, I won't reach you on not all of us, because one of us was in the back of the station wagon, you know, having a whole separate vacation, looking out the back window, <laughs> not knowing what's going on up front, but just enjoying it by hitting the kids in the, you know. If we even had that, or we're just rolling around in the back of the car because we didn't wear seat belts. But the point is this, chaos breaks out and they all start arguing and fighting, all right? And Jesus intercedes and says, stop. Enough with all of this. Are you not getting to hear what he says? Listen to the counter culture. Listen to the defying expectations and getting back to the cross. Listen to this. Jesus says, 
Whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be a slave to all. Servant, slave. For even the Son of Man, me, do you see me right here, did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Over and over and over, Jesus was trying to say us, but the disciples were not following Jesus for his desires or plans. They were shaping and consuming Jesus for their plans. And we are no different today, church. I am no better than the disciples. How many times am I beseeching God to shape something the way I think it needs to be? Or to shape a response. If only, Jesus, you would do this, then I'd be more comfortable and I could be more focused on you. Jesus doesn't live in comfort. He lives in the cross. And that's, he says, take up your cross and follow me. If we don't, we are making room for thorns to come out and choke the word in our heart, and then we're left producing nothing. Am I following Jesus for his desires and plans, or am I shaping Jesus for my desires and plans? The first thing any Christian, any pastor, any leaders in a church, any church body should do is nail their own plans and desires to the cross of Jesus. We need to quit elevating men and causes and purposes above the cross. We need to be at the foot of the cross, taking the road through the cross. The good soil. But these are the seeds that were sown on good soil. They hear the word and receive it and bear fruit 130 times as much in 60 and 100. These are the people who hear the word about the kind of Messiah. They understand it. They get that Jesus is and the true character of his kingdom and they receive it. They recognize that Jesus is the son of God. They see the way of discipleship along a difficult path and a true way of life is through the cross and yet they pick up their cross and follow Jesus. These are the ones who become fruitful and unexpectedly produce fruit in areas and arenas and lives that you would never have thought. Have any of you ever been surprised by somebody? You, you haven't seen them for a while and you hear about them later. They're doing what? They, they're, they're what? They're a CEO. What? They're doing that. They got what? And you're shocked because you never thought that's what they would become. I, I think every one of my teachers would look at me and say, what, you're a principal? I think they'd be like, Lord have mercy. How did that happen? I, I ask myself the same time, same question sometimes. See, good soil defies expectations by producing the fruit of Jesus. Good soil defies all the expectations because it's not about what I'm putting in the soil. It's about what Jesus is putting in the soil. It's about what Jesus is putting in your heart. It's about what Jesus is putting in our minds. It's about what Jesus wants to put in all of us. Jesus is pointing ahead to the dynamics that are going to unfold in the rest of Mark's story. The word of the cross will be proclaimed and it will find different responses wherever Jesus goes. Big crowds will be taken away with the news about the kingdom. Maybe they will fail to grasp it and a handful will understand it. And the other agendas will overtake so that it will not bear fruit. But cultivated soil will be found in Jesus' ministry and it will be found in the crazy world in which we live today. It will be found. And then unexpected people will produce unexpected fruit. It's not who we think it is all the time. And sometimes it's not who we think it should be. 
Everyone was looking for the kingdom of God Messiah, but their expectations were shaped by their culture and driven by their longings, their vindication, their desires, and their wants. So there's some things I ask myself, ask myself about this. In what ways does Jesus and the kingdom remain unknown to me? Is it a secret that I have not fully managed to understand yet? Is my enthusiasm about Jesus an indication of his vision or my version of his kingdom? Is my enthusiasm because it aligns with his vision or because it aligns with my version of what the kingdom means for me? See, Peter had his expectations of the Messiah. His proximity to Jesus did not attain the personal relationship he thought he had. And how Jesus shattered all of those with the cross. Peter's failure shone a light on his preconceived notions, biases, and selfishness of Jesus and his position on the inside that he thought he had. He was broken and returned to fishing. He had given up. Yet, he still desired to embrace Jesus And he was looking for a time that he could do that. And on the shores of Galilee, in a boat, he saw Jesus for the first time. Truly saw him. And it moved him so much, Peter jumped out of the boat, swam to shore, and ran to Jesus. Seeking forgiveness, seeking permission, seeking to be truly on the inside. Not just in proximity, but in servanthood. A slave, a child of God, personal connection. Because I want to listen. And Jesus tested him. Do you love me? Three times. Do you love me? Three times. Do you love me? Yes, I do. Yes, I do. And here's the last thing he told Peter. Feed my sheep. Take what I have shown you and go do the same. Peter, go defy expectations. You're a fisherman, now you're gonna be a fisher of men. Go defy expectations. Don't live within the confines of who you think I am. Live in the reality of who you know I am in this moment. And we all have those moments. We've all had them at times in our life, I hope, and if you haven't, I pray you will sometime where you get a glimpse of God and in that moment it's crystal clear, but why is it so hard to stay in that moment? Because we put all the other expectations onto God and it chokes us out, it pushes us away, or Satan snatches it and gets us confused. The life and way of Jesus defies expectations. My hope today is that as you look at the parable, the story, you don't look at the parable. You look at yourself, and I look at myself. And we ask ourselves those questions. Am I on the inside because of my plans? Or am I on the outside because I don't understand his plans? Let's pray. God, I pray, Lord, that Arbor may be a community that finds and embodies the secret of the kingdom. I pray that we would get outside these church walls, God, and back to the field sowing seed and word. God, I pray that those in the margins that seemingly are on the outside of the kingdom may be able to teach us more about being on the inside of the kingdom. 
God, I pray that Sunday mornings are not the culmination of our efforts with you. This, God, this is a, we're here today as an event to worship together. But God, this is, this is not the purpose of the church right here. God, the purpose is outside these walls. It's, it's getting into proximity with people in the margins to bring them into relationship with you. God, I pray that we would understand that we need to be more than just hearers of Jesus, but listeners. We need to do more than just shape Jesus for what he wanted to do. We need to let him shape us for who he wants us to be. God, may we continue to not just be in proximity with you, but we'd be in personal relationship with you. And God, may we truly hear and understand the words coming out of your mouth. In Jesus' name, amen.